Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Matthew 21 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those who came, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, we are continuing in our series, Did Jesus Really Say That? And as we uh, read the words of Jesus in Scripture, uh, I'm often uh, challenged by what Jesus has to say, uh, not only in trying to understand it in the context that, uh, that he first said it, uh, but also trying to apply it to my own life. And I, and I hope throughout this series that as we've looked at some of the sayings of Jesus, and some of them that maybe challenge us or don't quite make sense when we first hear them, that this series has been very helpful to you in uh, having a better understanding uh, of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Now, our passage today has um, several themes, and uh, we could talk about this for several Sundays, but there's two that I want to focus on today that are really present in this passage Uh, The first is the motivation for discipleship. Why do we serve the Lord? Why do we serve him? What is our motivation? And then tied to that is, well, as a result of serving him, what is our expectation? And uh, in particular, um, the character and the nature of the Lord as he responds uh, to our service. Both these themes are very present in this passage One of the things you're going to notice is that uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, uh, 
are bookended. It's bookended uh, by uh, two very similar, familiar passages that are said differently, but imply the same meaning. So, if you look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus says, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then he goes into saying this, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And so, from the very beginning of this parable, Jesus is stating, I'm going to tell you something about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is about the landowner. And this gives us a hint that the major theme, the major focus of this passage is God himself. Okay? God himself, his character and his nature. But then you notice as we read through the passage and as Wendy concluded in verse 16, the passage concludes this way. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And so Jesus again is reminding uh, his disciples, those who are hearing him teach this uh, of, of the major theme. And so as I hear that, I say, Jesus, you say that the last will be first and the first will be last. And you also said that there are many who will be first, will be last, and there are many who will last will be first. Did you really say that? What do you mean by that? And as we wrestle to really get a grasp of, of what Jesus is saying, we really have to go back uh, into Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16, we read about an encounter between Jesus and the rich young ruler. You're familiar with that. Uh, there is a wealthy young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus reminds him, all right, uh, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength things that he would have been familiar with. And he says, you know, you're to love your parents, the things of the law that, uh, that he would have known. And of course, as you read his response to Jesus, uh, he says, I've done all these things from my youth. And Jesus says, well, okay, there's one other thing that you lack. Uh, take all of your wealth, all of your possessions, sell them and give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. And, and so Jesus is really touching into the heart of this young ruler to say, you may have kept all these points of the law, but your heart betrays the intent of the law. Uh, that is uh, the, the point that your heart and your life and your priorities should be rightly aligned with the priorities of God. So it, it's not that everyone here who has wealth should go sell everything they have and give it to the poor. You should if the Lord tells you to. But that wasn't the greater point here. That's not the broader application. The broader application is, are our, is our heart right? Is our priorities aligned with those of God? Well, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, um, you know, it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle, this is the humor of Jesus, uh, than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then Peter says, 
Well, then who in the world can enter? And he says, Lord, we've left everything for you. Our priorities have been correct. And then Jesus says to Peter and to those that are there, the disciples, hey, listen, you haven't given up anything. You haven't left anything for my sake that I am not going to replace. And then some don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. Um, And then he goes into that saying, the first will be last and the last shall be first. And he goes, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And then he tells us the parable, okay? So to rightly understand this parable, you have to understand uh, the conversation that Jesus had had and what prompted him uh, to teach it. And Jesus clearly here is going to be addressing to his disciples as he's sharing this parable about the character and nature of God that they can trust him to provide for all of their needs and to give to them out of his character nature, which is that of generosity. And we're going to see this uh, in this passage. The other thing is that what is our motivation as followers of Jesus for serving him? Why do we serve him? What motivates us uh, to do this? Uh, Is it purely the reward that we hope to receive from him. And of course, then if that's the motivation, then it would follow that the harder I work, the longer I work, um, the more committed I am to my work and the things that I do, the works that I perform to the Lord, then I should have an expectation that my reward should be commensurate with that. And Jesus says, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, not so. Not so. Um, You see, we live in a culture uh, where uh, we work hard and we expect a reward. And our work is tied to our expectation of what we should receive. And we have in our minds an idea of what we should receive for the labor or the work that we produce. Okay? Okay. Not so in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in the kingdom of heaven, our heart, our priorities, our alignment with the heart of God should really be the motivation for our service. And in the kingdom of heaven, our service should reflect that of gratitude, that of thankfulness, not in what we hope to receive from God, but with the knowledge of what we already have received and the promise of his provision, his generosity in our lives. And so our motivation shouldn't be self-centered. It should be God-centered. Our motivation shouldn't be for us uh, merely to store up treasures for ourselves, but to serve others. Here's the point. The more we become like Jesus, the more our attitude reflects the heart and the character of the Lord, the more this parable makes sense. 
But unless that happens, it doesn't make sense at all. Because it's contrary to the values of work, production, and reward that drive our culture. You see, the kingdom of heaven is different from the kingdom of man. And the reason the kingdom of heaven is different from the kingdom of man, man's kingdom, is because it reflects the values of the landowner or of God. Tim Keller tells this story. He says, once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever or will ever grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, to the, turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted at the king's generosity, and he went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman in the king's court who witnessed and overheard all of this. And he said to himself, oh my, if that is what you get for a carrot, hmm, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, you know I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart. The king discerned his heart and said, thank you, took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot but you were giving yourself the horse. And so the theme here is very similar to the parable that Jesus talks about of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, Harold Horner says it this way. He said, a believer's motivation, do we have that slide? Thank you. He said, a believer's motivation in this life should not be the obtaining of rewards as an end in and of itself. Okay? That shouldn't be our motivation. Our motivation should be to please God wholeheartedly in thankfulness for what he has done for us. Now, Jesus is distinguishing the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of man. And what Jesus is clearly saying is this. 
that in the kingdom of heaven, payment of reward is independent of our achievements. It rests solely in God's sovereign generosity. Now listen to this. God's grace is sufficient for all. The fact that we're able to work, the fact that we're able to serve, the fact that he's given us gifts that we can express in gratitude and thankfulness to him reminds us that all of those things come from him. So our ability to produce or to serve him is a result of his generosity towards us so that we can't take credit for any of it. We don't own it. It belongs to him. He gives it to us, and we are wise stewards of it. His grace is sufficient. Now, if we're going to have the heart of the kingdom, if we're going to have an attitude of gratitude and generosity that reflects the very character and nature of God, then we have to commit ourselves to following Jesus. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 2, 3, and 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to be looking towards the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. What was Jesus' mindset? What was his mindset? Was it one of self-service or was it one of serving others? Was it one of what's in it for me or was it an attitude of what's in it for you, God? What's in it for you? How can I respond to you today with my life? Jesus said this in John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. To do the will of the one who sent me. In our story today, the landowner goes and he looks for workers. Now, this is probably taking place uh, in the fall. It's during the time of the harvest when we used to live in Sonoma County, uh, Lori worked for a winery. It was called The Crush. And there was a timetable. The, the, the vineyard worker would look, and at just the right time, they were determined to harvest the grapes. Because if the grapes stay on the vine too long, they get too sweet. And the sugar content increases, and it ruins the grape for wine. That's called bricks in the, in the terminology they use in, in winemaking. Thank you, Lori. And so the bricks or the sugar content has to be just right. And I'm telling you, a, a day or two can make all the difference in the world. Now, imagine this story if it's a Friday and it's getting near sundown. Well, sundown would start what? The Sabbath. And so the landowner would want to make sure to make sure that all the, the, the grapes were picked prior to the Sabbath because you couldn't do work on the Sabbath, which meant their grapes could be ruined. The sugar content 
could be too high if they waited till afterwards. And so our story says that the landowner goes and finds some workers. And they're doing work and they eva- he evaluates. He says, I'm going to get some more. I'm going to get some more. I'm going to get some more. And it comes all the way down to the last hour of the day. And the landowner knows exactly the amount of labor he needs to finish harvesting the crop or to picking the grapes. Right? And so he goes and he finds some workers. Now, it was customary, especially during this time, uh, in, in the region called Palestine, economically times were really tough. They were really hard. And there were day workers who were hoping just to find work enough for a day to earn a denarius, that they could support their family, that they could provide food and, and, and the necessities of life. And so these day workers would gather around and vineyard owners, landowners and others who were employers who needed extra help would go and look for day workers to hire them for that specific amount of time. Now, in our story, all right, it's only the people that he hires the earliest that he agrees to pay them a denarius, which is a day's wages. But as he goes through the hours of the day, he hires the other workers, but doesn't necessarily make an agreement. Now, I've lived in communities where there are day workers, And I'll tell you something. Those men that were wanting to feed their families and that were desperate for work, I never saw them haggle over how much they were going to be paid. When the truck pulled up or the potential employer invited them to come, man, they jumped in and they were there. They were grateful to have the provision of work. And they didn't haggle over how much they were going to get paid for the amount of time that they were going to work. They just wanted work. And so we see that same attitude here by the subsequent workers uh, who follow the landowner into the vineyard. Now, their attitude is one of this. I just want to work. Now, if we translate that as a disciple... Our motivation, our attitude for wanting to serve the Lord should be the same as the Lord himself. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, I am just grateful. I am just grateful. In light of all you've done, in light of your gratitude, or graciousness, that my gratitude, that my life would reflect your very heart, that I could serve you, and that would be my motivation. Man, I am just happy to work in your vineyard. And because I know who you are, and because I can trust your goodness and your generosity, I'm just going to work, and I'm going to let you take care of the provision and the reward. You see, there's great freedom in that, isn't there? There's great freedom when we come to the Lord as a servant, when as Christ's followers, we can trust him to know that we can be wise stewards of all the gifts, of all the resources he's given us. Whatever those are, that we can jump into his vineyard 
that we can labor alongside one another knowing, knowing that at the heart and the core of God's very character and nature are his goodness and his, gener- is his goodness and his generosity. And so our motivation doesn't have to be, God, what's in it for me? But God, what's in it for you? What's in it for you? I know and I trust you'll take care of me. And that's liberating. You see, John Rivera says this, there is freedom in serving and serving, but bondage in slavery. There's freedom in serving, but bondage in slavery. Okay? When I am caught up and I am tied up in what's in it for me, I'm in bondage. I'm a slave to my own attitude, to my, to my self-serving nature. But when I say, Lord, what's in it for you? How can I serve you? I'm freed of that. A slave has to do something. A slave has to do something. A servant gets to do it. Have you ever woke up and said, Lord, I have to do this for you today? Or is it, Lord, I get to do this for you today? That's the difference between a slave and a servant. A slave goes one mile. A servant goes the extra mile. A slave feels robbed. Feels like their expectations aren't met. That somehow the landowner isn't generous or isn't fair. A servant gives. A slave is bound. A servant is free. A slave fights for their rights. A servant lays down their life. You see that? You see the difference? The attitude, the difference between a slave and a servant. To really understand this passage, there are a couple verses we need to look at, okay? First is verse 8. And in verse 8, we see the landowner's instruction to the foreman when the foreman is instructed uh, to pay the workers. He says, pay them their wages beginning with the last one hired and then going on to the first. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? Does that make sense? Now, the landowner could have avoided all the fuss. He could have avoided having not met the workers who went to work first, their expectations and their disappointment. He could have avoided all of that by just saying, listen, pay the ones who came to work first. Give them what I promised the denarius. They'll never know that my intention is to pay everyone else that came after them the same. Why would the landowner do that? Because God loves, loves to put his lavish generosity and his goodness on display. 
And God wants all people to know of his goodness and his generosity. And so he starts with those who came to work last. He pays the one who worked for an hour the same as the one who worked for ten hours. As a demonstration of his generosity, of his goodness. And so then we look at verse 15. And in verse 15, there's another key to understanding this. The, the embittered laborers say, um, you know what, this isn't fair. I worked for 10 hours, you give me a denarius, they worked for one hour, and you gave them the same thing. What's going on here? You see, their expectations of what they're going to receive don't match with the generosity of the landowner. The owner makes this comment. He makes this comment to them. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Hey, listen, I paid you what I told you I would pay you. You agreed to that. What's your problem? Right? What's your problem? Why should you be so concerned about what I give these others? I've met and kept my promise to you. Now, here's an aside. If you were reading this as a first century Jew, and you were a, a, a son of Abraham, you may look at this in terms of, well, wait a minute, God. We're your people. We've served you all this time. And now, who are these people, the Johnny-come-latelys, the Gentiles? I mean, they're newcomers to this. And you mean your grace for them is the same as it is for me? That doesn't take into account who we are. Remember us, Lord? You chose us first, right? And, and so, as a Jewish follower of Jesus, this parable might speak to those who came from outside of Judaism and God's grace a portion to them as well. So here's a kind of a, another deeper application or, or a potential meaning to those who are hearing this. But specifically for this morning, focusing in on the motivation for service, the motivation of the disciple, and then secondly, and most importantly, um, the character and nature of the landowner. So in verse 15... The owner says, hey, listen, don't I have a right to do what I want with what I have? Isn't that my choice to do that? Right? And he says this, and there are two words here that are really important that help us understand what Jesus is saying. In verse 15, he says, are you envious because I am generous? Now, in the, in the, in the Greek, in the original language, this is one of the only places where that word is used as generous. Normally, it applies to goodness. The innate goodness of an individual. And, and so, really, he's saying, 
are you upset with my generosity? Or another way of understanding it would be, are you angry or upset because I'm good? And that begs the question for all of us. Are there times in our lives when we look at God and, and his goodness offends us? His grace, his sense of generosity for those that we deem maybe not as worthy as ourselves. Does that offend us? You see, what was really happening here was a generous insult. It was the landowner's generosity that insulted the earlier workers. It insulted their sense of fairness. It insulted their sense of justice. And as you hear and as you read this story, how many of you identified with the one that came at the last hour? Most of you read this and identify it as a person who's been working for 10 hours. I want to identify not with how many hours I'm in the, the vineyard or the field. I want to identify with the goodness and the generosity and the graciousness of God. I want to identify with his grace. Because the truth is this. He provided the workers work when they had none. And at the end of the day, they had all they needed those who worked 10, those who worked one hour. And the truth is this, that God's grace is sufficient for all of us. Whether we come to him today for the very first time or we have walked with him all of our lives. And we should rejoice and be grateful for that grace. There's a second expression here that really brings things home. And in verse 15, he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous? That's a compound expression. Um, and again, the generous there, uh, the word is used elsewhere for innate goodness. So God's generosity comes from his innate goodness, his character, who he is. The kingdom of heaven is like the landowner. It's like God himself. But then the word envious was a common expression of the time. The expression is the evil eye. Are you giving me the evil eye for my generosity? And the evil eye was an expression that was used when people would focus or be envious of others. They would be so caught up and focused on what was going on in somebody else's life in a, in a negative way. that they would fail to see and to recognize what they had in their own life. Does that make sense? And so the landowner says, hey, are you giving me the evil eye because I'm generous? 
because I'm good? Now, here, the other place where this expression evil eye is used by Jesus is in uh, Matthew 6, 22 through 23 in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's the point as we apply it to our passage today. If your eyes are bad, you'll miss the landowner's generosity. If your eyes are bad, you'll miss the generosity of God. It will embitter you rather than bring you joy. And you'll see it as stinginess, not for what it is, goodness independent of what you've earned. That's the point. Michael Wilkins says it this way. We are called to serve without thought of reward and without comparing ourselves to others. To think of rewards and to compare with others will cause us to both question the wisdom and the fairness of God and to become envious of other disciples, of other Christ followers around us. We serve a landowner. We serve a God. And he has an upside-down kingdom in which the values, the priorities, the goodness, the grace is so different than the kingdom of man. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Did Jesus really say that? Yes, he did. And it matters.